Shh. What's the matter, Morty? Great gowns, beautiful gowns. Fashion has changed. No, it hasn't. Hi, my name is Lauren Garoni. And I'm Chelsea Fairless. And damn, it's been a minute since we've done this. <laughs> I know, I feel like super rusty. It's okay, we'll get back into it. We were off living our best lives in Miami, and I'm here to say I'm fully miami built. <laughs> Same. It's amazing there. Miami really is more LA than LA is. When you go to South Beach, you realize like the costuming in the birdcage wasn't even an exaggeration. Like this is just how these people roll. Yeah, it was lovely to be with you for a weekend. I think I, as I said to you, it really felt like when we lived together, but without <laughs> the oppressiveness of the Trump administration. <laughs> yeah, we haven't been on a trip together for a really long time. I feel like it was a good bonding experience for us but i did feel lonely because we noticed on south beach that everyone rolls in a crew of four yeah minimum four sometimes it's like a crew of 10 and they all like each crew has their own aesthetic so it's like shirtless gay guys with puka shell (laughs) necklaces and then it's like influencer chicks like it's yeah it's a whole ass thing but it's very cool i love the idea of fashion being tribal in that way I also was introduced to the idea of the Miami Design District, which, you know, we've lived in New York, we live in Los Angeles, we've shopped in in different metropolitan cities, but never have I come across a place that has literally every designer and mid-market store in a three-by-three block radius. Yeah, I guess that isn't like a shopping mall. Right. Because it's true, to have that experience in New York, LA, you'd have to visit several neighborhoods. Yeah, you'd have to combine Soho and Park Ave and... Meatpacking. Yeah, SoFab, obsessed with that. That's where our event was also with Heidi Bivens, which was great. Thank you to all the fuckettes who came. You mean our new best friend, Heidi Bivens. Yeah, love her. Yeah, we were there for the Miami Film Festival, which was great. We also went to an event honoring Nicolas Cage, and I'm so obsessed with him. He's incredible. I will say this Nick Cage thing did have an audience participation Q&A. And I was so nervous in anticipation of this. And I was proven correct for my nervousness when the second person was like, hey, could I shake your hand? No, I'm with you. I always get severe anxiety when there's an audience Q&A portion. It doesn't matter what the event is. But yeah, Nicolas Cage has some crazy fans, people that do impressions of him, all of that stuff. Although it was really nice to see. I think Nicolas Cage understands the way that he's sort of unintentionally funny. He's both intentionally and unintentionally funny. And I think he's in on the joke. Well, I was thinking about that vis-a-vis Johnny Depp and how their careers have matured and how they've both had peaks and valleys and how, you know, Johnny Depp is currently in a valley and Nicolas Cage is is riding a high again. But I think there's been an earnestness with Nicolas Cage that has always existed where Johnny Depp has just been like a cool person. Like Nicolas Cage has always deeply loved the shit that he's loved forever and culture has just come around. I will say he dealt with everyone very gamely because you have one choice you either say no which you know is not the vibe or you do the improv thing where you do yes and yeah but it just reminded me of that thing that happened at Sundance with Mia Goth where someone was like can I give you my script and she said yes but I remember being like this is gonna set the worst precedent yeah 
It's weird how people like don't know how to act around celebrities. Anyway, that was fab though. And then we had a brief moment in New York together, which we haven't had in a million years. We did a very special interview that will come out, I guess, later this month, early next month. Yeah. Something. In the coming weeks, we interviewed... uh, An icon. Yeah, someone (laughs) that without her, we would not be here. Um, That's a good tease. (laughs) And then we both went to the same Mugler exhibit, but separately. On the same day, within hours of each other, but... Yeah, what time did you go? Because you have to get that time ticket. I went at 4.30. Well, here's the funny thing about the time ticket is the person gave it to us at exactly when we got in there at 1230. We were like, oh, we're sorry. We're going to lunch. And she was like, it doesn't matter. Just go up when you're finished. (laughs) Yeah, guys, if you're in New York, run, don't walk. Like if you like clothes that are like very theatrical, extremely pervy, like pretty gay, go see that show. This is my second time seeing the exhibit. I did see it when I was in New York in January, but I was with my parents. And I think the biggest flex for this exhibit is my dad came and wasn't bored. (laughs) Well, I can see that because as we know, your dad appreciates a beautiful woman. (laughs) These are very, very sexy clothes. Well, as you can see, I mean, you can't listener, but I have two Helmut Newton (laughs) books that he he purchased for me. And Helmut Newton was photographed Mugler's first collection which is so crazy in the 70s yeah also people often forget that terry mugler was an incredible photographer in his own right like he picked up where helmet newton left off and like you can't really notice there's no difference in quality and i do because literally as the exhibit was going on my father was on amazon and bought his photography book oh yeah i have that it's actually not saying you should buy it from amazon but it is extremely cheap on amazon if you were to do that Yeah, great show. But also, if you're into, like, the gay fetish stuff, there's also a really good Jimmy DeSanta show also at the Brooklyn Museum. So if you want to see some casual ball torture. On the ground floor. (laughs) Perfect for the whole family. (laughs) Yeah, actually, don't go in there with your family. The Mugler exhibit, fine. That (laughs) shit, mm, I don't know. Leave your parents off on the fourth or third floor. (laughs) So this was the first year in... I can't even remember since you moved here. We didn't watch the Oscars together. No, we didn't. I was still in New York. You were back here. And hmm, what do we remember? Because it's been <laughs> it's been a few days. I actually really like talking about the award shows once some time has gone by. Oh, like, yeah. Do you even remember Jimmy Kimmel's opening monologue? I mean, I do mostly because it began with the I suppose Billy Crystal started this but I feel like the MTV Movie Awards perfected it which is having the host of an award show in the movie that was nominated that year I could have used more of that it started with him in the uh, cockpit with Tom Cruise and then it cut to F-18 fighter jets flying over the Dolby Theater which I then opened my door and could hear them flying over (laughs) my house Um, you know, I thought he did well with the punny jokes, you know, free my banshee for my inishirons. I wasn't nervous for him, which is good because a lot of times I think you are, the audience is. Like when Neil Patrick Harris hosted? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But not a lot of it stuck with me. Also, don't force Malala to participate in your crowd work. Like this woman has already been shot in the head by the Taliban. Like don't ambush her with some random Harry Styles joke. I thought that bit was crazy because I feel like that was coming off of an award, which, by the way, if you are 
a below the line person, you are an editor, you made a short film or something, and there is more than one of you that wins, you all need to be in a line together. Because when they do that shit, when the first person goes, and then the second person goes up to talk, you are going to get played off. Which it happened, and then they did that stupid crowd work bit. And it's like, the editor, the second editor of whatever one, I can't even remember. I feel like since the early 2000s, like since Nicole Kidman won for cold mountain i can't remember wasn't who- that the hours oh the she, hours she did not win for cold mountain like that i'm was, sure she was nominated that was but. renee zellweger but i'm telling you it's like it's, i am no louis vitrell it's like from the early 2000s on i cannot remember who has won what yeah again i say did you know jessica chastain won best actress last year yes i remember <laughs> you never saw that movie did you no see i did you remember if you've seen it because it was a very good performance although that said jessica chastain i don't dislike her but of those girls i don't know for some reason i'm not as like into her as say a nicole kidman or something speaking of which i do remember his nicole kidman joke which was that she's been released from that abandoned amc theater. oh that was good that was good that was good and then he did bring up the fact that it's true you're reminding people to go to the theater to people who are already in a theater it's not like it's a commercial that ran on tv no it's true yeah generally speaking I think it's one of the more boring Oscars that I can recall. And I think that's because most of the awards either went to Everything Everywhere All at Once or All Quiet on the Western Front. So it's not really that exciting. Yeah, it reminded me of the year, I think it was Return of the King just sweeped. And yeah, you tend to get a more boring show when there is a movie that everyone loves and is, or one or two films that, yeah, do sweep the awards and the categories. Like, I knew everything, everywhere, all at once was going to win a lot of awards. I just didn't know it was going to win Best Picture because I really did think the Academy, which is made up of a bunch of octogenarians still, were going to give it to Spielberg. Right. But then... then All Quiet on the Western Front started to win so many that I was like, is it going to be the Parasite thing where it wins Best Foreign Picture and Best Picture? I felt like everyone that was accepting awards at that Oscars was German or Irish. Anyway, also, I think I'm someone that likes the fact that they air the technical categories at the Oscars because I like to see real people winning Oscars. But these real people were not that charismatic this year. Like you got the, the, the Irish guys that made the crowd sing happy birthday. That was cute. Yeah. You got the guy that won for best song for, what was that song called? That song slapped. Oh, not to, not to, not to, not to. Yeah, exactly. That was cute. That was fun. I really do think that if you're going to win an Oscar, you do have to have a good speech. You do have to, You know, ask your funny friends to help you write something. You got to give us a moment. Like, I always remember there was a kid that won, I think it was the Academy Award for Best Short, and he really didn't think he was going to win because he got up on stage and clutched his hair and said, if I knew I was going to win, I would have gotten a haircut, which is like, yes, moments like that. Yeah. It was great to see Michelle Yeoh win. That felt like a joyous moment. Great night for her. Bad night for Don Lemon because... In her speech, she said something to the effect of, don't let anybody tell you that you're past your prime, which was a reference to his scandal of like three weeks ago, where he said that about Nikki Haley. It hasn't been a good few weeks with Don Lemon. I'm not really paying attention. I know there's like 
something going on with the morning show. I can't be bothered to watch CNN in the morning. I can't be bothered to watch CNN at night. No, I never want to watch cable news at all. Michelle Yeoh is only the second person of color to win Best Actress. The other is Halle Berry, who was there to give her the award. Oh, I didn't even put that together. See, that's so depressing. Like, it's, it's, of course, it's great when there's a first like that. But is it? Isn't it sad? Yeah, it's kind of sad that that's, not just the first, but the second after 95 years, you're like, Ooh. Like, is that worth celebrating? Like, of course her performance is worth celebrating, but it just seems a bit dark to me. Well, did you notice that Jimmy Kimmel made a, a point in his monologue that was like, we heard you, we're going to have the, you know, all the technical categories during the broadcast. But I guess how they made time was that they had two presenters give out Best Supporting Actress and Actor and Best Actor and Actress at the same time. Because usually the tradition is the opposite gender that one gives the award. Although it might be a little difficult to have Will Smith give Michelle Yeoh the uh, (laughs) Best Actress award as he's been kicked out of the Academy. Right, right. I forgot about that. So that's why they broke with tradition. Yeah, and also to save time. What did you think about people? People were, at least on the internet, were mad, mad at Jamie Lee Curtis for winning. And then the other half of the internet was Why? Um, because they wanted Angela Bassett or any of the other people in the category to win. I think that if someone from Everything Everywhere All at Once should win, it should be the actor that played her daughter. Right. That's my thought. But it's a career Oscar. And let's be real. Angela Bassett's performance in Wakanda Forever was great, but it was also kind of a career Oscar for her as well, if she were to win. Yeah, and then the other half of the internet was kind of scolding Angela Bassett for not losing graciously. And it's like, look, if I won every single award up until this point and lost this, I'd be fucking pissed too. It's not like the best actor where it's like, all right, Austin Butler won half of the big awards and Brendan Fraser won the other half. Like, you know, who's going to win? Although at least it gave the audience some fucking entertainment because that was an unexpected win. And we didn't get many unexpected wins. Should we talk about best actor? Your boy. Brendan Fraser, yes. He seemed genuinely moved, which you don't always get from best actor. Well, he started crying as soon as Jimmy Kimmel was referencing because Ki Hoi Kwan, who also won, and I will say that's the closest we've gotten to like Roberto Benigni level of excitement for like winning an award and then also getting an audience hyped that they are winning an award. Yeah. Uh, but they were in Encino Man together. And it's like Brendan Fraser was, uh, sorry, Fraser was tearing up as soon as Jimmy Kimmel mentioned that it was a rough night for Polly Shore. I was like, uh oh. So <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a funny joke. It was that a was funny a really joke, good but joke. Like, the man's that emotion- was like a joke for you personally or something. Yeah, that was a me joke. But um, the man's emotions were at an 11 at the beginning of the show. Truly. Also, I want to point out, did you see his sons, his teenage sons? Okay, holy shit. These kids look nothing like each other or their father. (laughs) One thing that they are is hot. Another thing that they are is stylish. And I'm not saying that they're gay because, of course, it is in poor taste to out teenagers. I'm just saying that they are extremely cool. And also, who knows, you know, maybe Harry Styles and Timothée have changed the fashion landscape so much that like straight men are now dressing like this. But yeah, I I was shook by these looks. I don't think they're gay. I think they're just teenage boys. They did look like a couple, though. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just saying 
wearing pussy bows, wearing leather suits and sheer shirts to the after party. Did you see their after party looks? I know. Also, what's crazy is one looks like they could be the ginger son of Pierce Brosnan, and then the other one looks more like Nick Cage's son than Nick Cage's own son. Yeah. So, like, get these boys a Sailor on campaign stat. Seriously, these are like the coolest looking children I've ever seen. So good for Brendan Fraser. Clearly he's doing something right. Yeah. And he'll be in the new Scorsese film at the end of this year. Let's get our boy booked and busy. Let's get him in a Nancy Myers film. Oh, wait, Netflix just canceled her movie. <laughs> wait, what was this movie? I don't know. It's some movie that would have um, Scarlett Johansson and Michael Fassbender in it. The budget was $130 million, which... Seems excessive. That's an expensive kitchen. Yeah. Sarah Pauly won. Our girl. Good for her. Well, I feel like screenplay adapted or original seems to be the award the Academy voters are most comfortable giving Giving to to women. women. Yeah, I know. I thought the same thing. (laughs) Is now the time to talk about Lady Gaga's performance? (laughs) Sure. One thing that unites little monsters is that we do not care about that Top Gun song. (laughs) Like, you'd have to be, like, hardcore, you know? It's just, it's like it didn't hit in the same way that some of her other songs have. It certainly didn't hit like Star is Born, which is fine because that's a grail that you can't even try and replicate. Yeah, I forgot she had done a song for Top Gun. Yeah, she did this very stripped down version, which was a strange choice because that song is so over the top and like Diane Warren-esque. You expect her to be in the gown with the dry ice on the stage, with the full orchestra, with the video of the fighter jets like above. Oh no, her on a fighter jet. (laughs) I think the thing about it that didn't work is that the camera was too close, way, way well, the, too close. The camera was way too close, but I think she was going for authenticity. I think she was going for this is my authentic self, but it felt like a character. It felt like as much of a character as the other sort of personas that she's crafted for various videos, eras, performances, what have you. All I could think about because she had taken her makeup off from the red carpet was that story... Her lipstick was still there? Well, her lipstick was still there, which... <laughs> I liked that, actually. That was a fun detail. The, you in, know when you take off your lipstick and it's still in the innermost yeah. part of your lip? But what I kept thinking about was that apocryphal story where she said that when Bradley Cooper went to her house to audition her for A Star Is Born, he somehow had a makeup wipe in his hand, which I've never understood about the story, and just went up to her and took her makeup off with the makeup wipe. <laughs> So you're saying that Bradley Cooper did that beat for her performance. That is what I'm saying. He was at the the uh, Beyonce after party. <laughs> what else? You have Emily Blunt being a messy, relatable queen. And like, I'm here for that. But are you referring? In the doc, you mean. Oh, sorry. Sorry, it's, it might not be clear to the audience. Yes, in the, in the doc or outline, you have Emily Blunt being a messy, relatable queen. Are you referring to when she was giving the presenting the award with The Rock? Or was there something on the red carpet I missed? Wait, wait, wait. Was that not Emily Blunt? Who the fuck tripped? Was that Elizabeth Banks? Am I mixing up my people? With Cocaine Bear? Yeah. That's Elizabeth Banks. Okay. (laughs) That's who I meant. I just put it down in the dock wrong. Uh, Yeah, that was... Elizabeth (laughs) Banks tripped over her Vivian Westwood gown, and then she could, like, barely talk. 
I loved it. Evidently, my doctor didn't give her a cortisone shot before the Academy Awards. <laughs> also, did Jessica Chastain have coronavirus? Because... So, okay. Here, here's the thing. Yes, Jessica Chastain was in the audience and it was very noticeable. She was the only one wearing a mask in the audience. She is currently on Broadway and felt... or if not Broadway, she's doing some performance and she felt that it was not responsible for her to take precautions because if she goes down, then the show goes down. If she gets other people sick. But what I always find funny about that philosophy is your husband's not wearing a mask next to you. Also, isn't literally everyone in that room like also currently filming movies and in plays and stuff? You know, there's something about Jessica Chastain. I love her. If you've ever looked at her TikToks, you're like, you're doing everything by the book correctly with social media, but it just doesn't feel right. I have no idea what her TikTok presence is like. I did love the four weddings and a funeral reunion. And, uh, you know, leave it to Hugh Grant to... I assume that was an ad lib, which was a correct ad ad lib, that we're here to do two things, present this award and also talk about the importance of moisturizing. (laughs) Yeah, his his skincare joke hit, for sure. But he looks... He's in his 60s. He does look pretty good for a British man of his age. Yeah, he does. Also, what do you think of this Ashley Graham controversy? Because I don't think he was that bad. No, no, no. Yes, interviewing him is like getting blood from a stone, but like... That's what red carpet journalism is all about. Like, I would say that at least 50% of Juliana Rancic's interviews are exactly like this, and no one's ever defending her. So he made a reference to Vanity Fair, the book. She understood it as Vanity Fair, the magazine hosting the after party, and things got very awkward. I have seen people make the point, and I think we've made this point as well, that this is kind of the trouble of when you have personalities that have no journalistic background because she also, I guess, kind of got into it with Pedro Pascal when she was like, you know, the standard, like, what are you most excited about at the awards? And he's like, to see Rihanna perform. And she goes, Rihanna's not performing. Like, she didn't know Rihanna was nominated for an Oscar and okay, was going to be performing crazy. that night. That's insane. That's on her. That is on her. Also, this is what most old white guys are like on red carpets. Like, have you ever seen anyone try and interview Bill Murray or Harrison Ford? I was going to say Harrison Ford, yes. Like, that's just like who these guys are. And yeah, maybe they shouldn't walk the carpet, but... Perhaps ABC should hire us, but that's not going to happen. So we're just going to have more awkward moments like this. I always love the In Memoriam segment. And what I love the most about the In Memoriam segment is the immediately after when people online are like, these are all the people they forgot to mention. Well, there were some noteworthy snubs. There are oversights every year, but this year's oversights were pretty egregious. Yeah. No Paul Servino, no Anne Hayes, no Leslie Jordan, Tom Sizemore, Philip Baker Hall, and then the actress- Wait, Philip Baker Hall died? Yeah. Fuck. Oh, that's rude. Yeah, you would have known. (laughs) You would think that the Academy would love a Philip Baker Hall. Right, and then also the actress from Triangle of Sadness, which was nominated for Best Picture. So it's like- Yeah, not just in it, but the lead, arguably. And it's like, what is your metric for being considered in the In Memoriam segment? Is it that you have to have worked on a Academy Award-nominated film? You have to be in the Academy? I have never understood why they feature some people versus others. No, I'm with you. Also, seeing John Travolta was very, very depressing, talking about Olivia Newton-John. Like, ugh, I just felt for him. But I'm so glad that he's finally embraced his baldness. Do you know why? You don't even have to say no or yes. I'm going to tell you the story. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't seem like I have much of a choice. (laughs) 
He did this god awful Gotti film, which I've never seen, but it's directed by E from Entourage. It has a zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes, where John Travolta plays John Gotti, and Pitbull did the music for that. And John Travolta said on the press tour that when he saw Pitbull's bald head, he decided to finally, and I'm going to put this in quotes, shave his head. (laughs) Whatever. Good for him. He can't admit to the fact that he's been wearing wigs and hair pieces for the last 20 years. Although it would be nice if he just ripped it off on stage. A la Samantha? Yeah, at the Oscars. (laughs) What do you think that crisis team was doing? When they had nothing to deal with that entire show. I know. It it did feel very sedate. Which, how could it not? Again, crazy shit only happens when you have your defenses down. Also, I love that you texted me when Ruth Carter won her (laughs) second Oscar for costuming for both Black Panther films. And (laughs) this was such a slay because she came prepared with notes, but her notes matched her marigold gown perfectly. Yeah. And I was like, why doesn't everyone do this? Because there's nothing more painful than seeing some girl in like a gorgeous gown pull out a cocktail napkin with some shit written on it. Or worse, just like printer paper folded up. Yeah. Yeah, I texted you. I was like, am I crazy or are are her cards matching her dress? (laughs) No, that was a great moment. I think the weirdest moment of the Oscars was that Little Mermaid spawn con. Do you mean the ads or was there something in the show that I missed? Yes, there was something in the show. Basically, Melissa McCarthy and which one is it? Chloe? Halle Halle, What? Whichever one of them. Halle Bailey. Halle Bailey, not to be confused with, with Halle, Halle Berry. Which came is out. very tough for my dyslexia when I see her name. <laughs> they came out together and basically were like, we're premiering the trailer now at the Oscars. Yeah. And then it just cut to commercial. Like, I've never seen anything like that ever. Well... The Oscars are hosted on ABC. ABC I, is owned by Disney. You don't need to explain to me why this happened. I'm just saying it's unprecedented. True. Not that I don't want to see The Little Mermaid. I definitely do. Yeah. It's like, sure. Why not? Rob Marshall, I'm in. Should we talk about the red carpet? I'm sorry, Chelsea. Do you mean the champagne carpet? <laughs> okay, right. Yeah, I guess we should talk about that first. So the first time the color of the carpet has been changed since there was a red carpet in 1961. I don't know why everyone's so pissed about this. Okay, first of all, this happened because the Academy hired Lisa Love, famously the West Coast editor of Vogue, and I forget his name, but some event designer who also has worked on the Met Gala for 10,000 years. Raul Avila. Yeah, I think they wanted to make it more like that. Well, okay, so one, it wasn't champagne as much as it was beige, They came up with this change because the award ceremony arrivals, I guess because they were anticipating rain or the possibility of that, so it was a covered carpet instead of what it is usually, which is typically open air, and I guess they thought that the red carpet would look too dark, which is fine, except for the fact that I don't think anyone told the stylists I'm sure they told the stylists. Okay, but most... Again, these are people that, like, have worked on the Met Gala. They're definitely aware of the fact that this is information that needs to be relayed to someone. Right, but it was a year where a lot of people were wearing white gowns. My favorite moment of red carpet coverage was on E! when they put the people, like, 20 miles away from when the red carpet's actually happening. And I forget who was wearing an orange dress, but one of the red carpet commentators for E! was like, I think this is going to be a big color for the night. And I had seen two outfits, and I was like, no, it's not. And it wasn't. It was a lot of white, and a lot of the people looked washed out in the photos. 
I don't know. I think a neutral colored carpet makes more outfits look good than red. Like red is a very specific color. And yes, it's traditional, but red against purple. Ew. Oh, Angela yeah. Bassett would have looked like shit. So that's true. That's true. Also, I don't know if you noticed, but they changed the backdrop in the backdrop of the Oscars. They have barely changed since 2014. Since then, we have had this weird like 3D triangular honeycomb type thing with right. little Oscar statuettes suspended in this. So I think this backdrop looked way like less shitty than what we've had personally. I don't know, but it seems like it could be closer to how it was back in the day. That's true. People, when the red carpet was first read, people on TV couldn't even tell that because it was still in black and white. Could you tell? Thank I, you for that fun fact. Could you tell I watched the ABC like 40 minutes before fun facts about the Oscars? <laughs> all right. Let's get down to brass tacks. Who do we think was best dressed? For me, it was all men. It was Letty Kravitz, who wore a black satin ensemble from that incredible YSL collection that we talked about that we're obsessed with. I really liked Riz Ahmed in Prada. Yeah. He wore one of those pointy collar dress shirts that we also talked about. And uh, yeah, it's just nice seeing people that don't look like they're in old Hollywood drag. And then I liked Paul Mezcal, who kind of did do old Hollywood drag. I was going to say, yeah. But it felt more casual in 70s and it felt cool. It was giving Robert Evans more than old Hollywood. Yeah, like 70s, but not in a douchey way. No, but like 70s cokey Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. Also, I watched After Sun on the plane coming back from New York. Have you seen that movie? I, I'm worried it's going to make me immediately burst into tears. It is a beautiful film. It's an incredible performance. It's so stylishly directed by Charlotte Wells. And like, very, very good. Very good. Also, excellent rave sequence. Not all rave sequences in films are created equal, and this one was quite good. An excellent use of music. Very good use of um, under, under pressure. pressure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, I think that was it. Oh, also, I liked um, I liked Gaga and I liked Rihanna. I liked the divas. They came through. Rihanna just in her second pregnancy further evolving the iterations of having your belly out while being pregnant. Yeah. In, the, in her Alaya ensemble. Although Gaga's makeup was pretty severe, like it looked like one of those like Guy Bourdain models where they have like the fluorescent pink blush, the red lip, like the crazy black eye makeup, which come to think of it, maybe I am into it. And so Gaga wore the outfit that Gigi Hadid had just worn days before at the LA Versace show, which we were rudely not invited to. To be fair, we weren't in town, but (laughs) the best part of that dress though was how low the back dipped. It rem- like you could pretty much see her ass crack. It was like she was giving ass cleavage. Very Thierry Mugler. I was going to say there's the one outfit from, I think it's the anniversary show where it's this very high neck outfit and then you look at the back and the little top bum is out. Incredible reveal. You know, I'm a whore for Pedro Pascal. I'm also in general very into a no tie look and I love a stiff collar. Speaking of a stiff collar, I loved Hong Chow in Prada, and she asked them to add a Mandarin collar as a nod to her Vietnamese heritage, as well as a nod to the spring-summer 97 Prada collection. I really, really liked that look, too. I feel like that was, that's a timeless Oscars look. Oh, yeah, that will be, it'll be a deep cut best dress, but that will, yes, be an eternal best dress in my opinion. That holds up. That shit holds up. Good for her. 
I'm going to put Jennifer Connelly because we do love to say that Vuitton is clothing only Jennifer Connelly looks good in. Yeah, and she looks incredible in that. What a flex. Like, how cool to be the only person that looks good in Louis Vuitton <laughs> women's wear. But uh, it's like she's so there's something so severe about Jennifer Connolly. You know yes. what I mean? It's almost like she always looks like a deer in headlights. Like every time you see her, she's like, <gasps> like, <laughs> well, it's those it's those gargantuan <laughs> eyes that have a lot to do with it. But yeah, <laughs> but very glamorous. Brian Tyree Henry in Dolce and Gabbana, I think. That was very, what was it called? Behind the candelabra? Beyond the candelabra? <laughs> behind the candelabra. Behind the candelabra. <laughs> well, I liked it though. Yeah, I think he's someone that actually does have a sense of personal style. So it's always nice when someone that does genuinely have good personal style is able to channel that on the red carpet. Again, a no tie look with shirt that had brocade or lace. And it, it looked like it was some sort of applique lace situation i don't think it was brocade that spilled onto his blazer and then lastly jenny slate because when i saw her on the red carpet i gasped like i thought she looked she was wearing tom brown and it's a departure from what we usually see as tom brown on the red carpet (laughs) yeah she was not dressed like a preppy clown uh and then they also matched marcel the shell which is what she was there for she was nominated for best animated picture marcel the shell had like tom brown shoes which i thought was cute Yeah, I thought the padded hip was a very nice detail. That's what made that dress stand out, I think. Yeah, and I think that that hip bump out that we saw in Kourtney Kardashian, it was executed way better on Jenny Slate in this outfit. Right, well, it was certainly more extreme on Kourtney Kardashian. I would also say that Phoebe Waller-Bridge had a good black strapless gown moment. I think she was wearing Dolce, but that was very like chic, understated, didn't look like a whole-ass clown, you know? (laughs) Should we get into some other notable outfits? Sure. Well, I guess we should talk about Kate Blanchett. What did you think? That is an outfit that says, I'm not getting on stage. Yeah, that's an outfit that says, I'm going to the Berlin Film Festival, not like I'm winning Best Actress at the Academy Awards. <laughs> that's looking at her stylist and she's like, what have we yet to wear on this press run? Yeah, I guess it's like, I'm not, I'm not underwhelmed, I'm not overwhelmed, I am just whelmed about this look. <laughs> and of course she is beautiful, but again, I don't know, there's something about Louis Vuitton. Yeah. On the red carpet. It's weird. It's a weird vibe. Speaking of which, Ana de Armas, also in Louis Vuitton. I think this is where the kind of washed out thing. It was like between her skin tone, the champagne carpet, her dress, the background, it all just... I think she looked really pretty, but like, I don't understand why in God's name, anyone would want to reference the happy birthday Mr. President dress after the news cycle of the past year. Like, why? Because it looked... Kim Kardashian of it all? Yeah, because she's nominated for Blonde. It looked identical to that dress from the knees up, basically. Right. And it's like the most obvious reference that you could make to Marilyn Monroe apart from like the white Travilla like subway grate dress or something. So I kind of didn't understand the thought process there. I thought it was like the most obvious thing you could do. Which then just wear it as a a cocktail gown but to then add that kind of mermaid. It was almost like petally trained. Yeah, I don't think that added anything. I think it would have been better just without it. Nicole Kidman in Armani. What was Nicole Kidman on? Because I want that shit. (laughs) I think she looked great in this dress. It was such a Sarah Jessica Parker look, though. It wasn't even so much Carrie as SJP because it had these giant... It was an Armani Privé dress with these giant rosettes. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm into it, although I don't know. I feel like the hair 
was too loose because the dress was so structured with the hair I would have leaned into bitch yeah it needed you know? to be more slicked straight I was tight. gonna say severe like Jennifer Connelly but yeah exactly did you just see her in photos or did you see her trying to pose with Keith Urban because she seemed to be mixing booze and some Xanax or something no judgment no she was feeling herself <laughs> look if I was on the red carpet I would need way more than that to feel comfortable <laughs> yeah and also it's so rough when they show just raw footage of people posing for photos because it's like what you have to do to look good in still photographs does not lend it Self to being filmed do you know what I mean well there's nothing worse than seeing people do like 50 poses in 30 seconds I'm mimicking that for Chelsea (laughs) Florence Pugh thoughts okay I actually feel like I'm taking crazy pills because why was she on best dressed I feel like everyone vibes with her as a fashion icon in general Um, and I think that she's a great actress and certainly a beautiful one but I think that her clothing choices are often more flamboyant than what she can pull off. That's an interesting way to phrase it. Yes, I think a lot of her recent looks, and I would say from the Valentino Couture show last summer to now, it all feels very unintentional. Like, oh, I didn't know that this dress was actually this short and that I'm wearing shorts with this dress. I I totally understand she knows what the look is, but it just feels all accidental. Well, it's weird because this is basically the same outfit she wore to the Venice Film Festival with the hot pants. Right. Except for that one was some sort of like sheer black tulle with sequins or paillettes or some shit. And this was just like champagne colored satin. Right. Yeah, I think it's a weird vibe. Mindy Kaling. Okay, I put this in here not because I think like this dress is fucked, but the fact that she wore a white Vera Wang dress on the red carpet then changed into an identical black version when she presented and then changed into a third outfit for the Vanity Fair party it's like you are presenting I don't know who needs to hear this but (laughs) if you are a plus one or presenting are you presenting do not change there is one exception and that is you decided to come in drag as an old Hollywood actress. You can't walk in your dress. It's giving Jennifer Lawrence when she won. And so for the after party, out of sheer necessity, yeah. you must change into something shorter so you can dance. But people change from one gown to another gown. Right, because they want to up their chances that there will be multiple photos of them in various magazines and websites. Someone I saw on Twitter, someone said that it, her gown looked like a fast fashion gown. And I was like, yep, that's kind of the best way to put it. What, Mindy Kaling's? Yeah. Well, because it was a combination of everything that's trendy. It's like that exposed boning, exposed midriff, uh, sleeves that are detached from the body, like a Fox News anchor type peplum, you know? So I don't think it will really stand the test of time just because it's too, there's so many aspects of it that are, you know, now. I loved Rooney Mara in Archival McQueen. I'm always intrigued when someone chooses an archival piece. And then I love, to our point about people constantly changing, she just added a, uh, I think it was a Sarah Burton design coat on top of it. See, I didn't like the coat, but I loved the dress. Right. But it's like, can we talk about the fact that Rooney Mara, like when she steps out on a carpet, like is her motivation like the little match girl? Like (laughs) this is like the saddest, like the sadness in this woman's eyes. It's like, it's like a Margaret Keene painting. Right. Every time I see her. I mean, I can definitely understand you have to start getting ready at the beginning of the day. It's not just that. It's a vibe. It's a vibe. 
And it's a very sad vibe. Jamie Lee. Okay. I have some questions about this. Jamie Lee, you tell us about your outfit. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee, you are all of us. Um, I, I kind of don't get this because... She wore Dolce & Gabbana. Dolce & Gabbana, notoriously good at corsetry, notoriously good at boning. But for some reason, the boning on this dress extended over her tits. Right. Like the boning ended like at nipple where it's like the point of boning is that it holds your breasts up and shapes them and pushes them together. So I just thought, I was like, how did that happen? That feels like a Jamie Lee Curtis note. She was like, no, no, no. It's like, did she wear the wrong bra or something? Or did they just like fit this on someone that had a torso that was like two inches shorter or something? I don't know. Eva Longoria in Zuhair Marad. Is that how you say that? Zuhair Marad, yeah. I don't know. This was like when um, Kim and Kanye were together, like right when she got the makeover. Oh, yeah. That is, it's very reminiscent of, what was it? The Givenchy dress that she wore? Yeah. Pre-pregnancy? Not the floral one, but yeah. Yeah, that felt weird. And then I guess we should get into the most viral look, I suppose, which was Thames. Um, I don't know who designed it, but it was some cloud-like sculptural tool concoction that obstructed the view of not one, not two, but it seemed like several people behind her. Eh. You don't care? You don't think it's rude? I don't know. It depends on who is behind her. If it's someone that's been nominated a few times, okay. If it's someone's first nomination and they're like, hey, I may never get here again, I suppose you'd want to Well, it's see. probably her first nomination. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it's rude. I think it's one thing if you're nominated for Best Actress <laughs> and you're in the front row, but she was like four or five rows back or something. You're saying that if you're going to obstruct people's view, that's uh, that's first and second row. That's splash at zone behavior. At least know that you're winning Best Actress. But really, it's a performance look, right? That's the kind of thing that it's kind of rude to just wear in a crowd. You know, it's one thing if you're on stage. But it was one of the most talked about dresses, so. Yeah. Shall we get into Vanity Fair? Yeah, but that could be another two hours. So should we just do like a really strict edit of this? Yeah. Let's do the best looks, which Hunter Schaefer, come on. And Anne DeMuehlmeester straight off the runway, which perhaps pushed Law Roach over the edge. We'll get into that in a little bit. <laughs> I know. I actually think it's Law Roach's biggest sleigh, apart from some of the work he's done for Celine Dion. But this was an incredible look. This is the first red carpet we've seen from Angela Meester's new creative director. We'll get into that later when we talk about Fashion Month. It is a truly incredible look and also gravity defined. Like how the fuck? Yes, if you haven't seen it, Hunter is wearing a long white skirt and then a feather, a very strategically placed feather with the strongest double tape in existence over her tits. Yeah, I don't know how it works, but damn, she looked incredible. That's, I also want to have that kind of confidence in an outfit I wear. <laughs> well, that's the kind of confidence. This is an outfit that only a model can wear. Correct. Like, it's, you know, it is what it is. Um, Kylie Jenner. Holy fucking shit. In Margella. Incredible. I, I am still, like, I am so shocked by this woman's transformation. This came out of nowhere. It began in January for Couture Fashion Week and has continued. Like, this is a dress that is worthy of winning Best Actress. 
Absolutely. I mean, but no actress will wear Margiela. <laughs> but um, I also like that it seems like It Girls influencers, actresses are aligning themselves with one brand and just wearing that over and over again, as opposed to just wearing a different thing on every red carpet. And I'm enjoying this trend. Well, she's wearing a lot of different designers, but she is wearing Margiela regularly, which she never has before, yeah. which is cool. And the it's also cool because like this look technically is Audrey Hepburn-esque, which is how everyone tries to look at the Oscars. But this also is modern and cool and looks different. It's the collision of the type of person, the persona that Kylie connotes, the fact that she's wearing Margiela and how cool that brand is. And yeah, the collision of all of those things makes something not only beautiful, but in a way subversive. And I'm, I'm here yeah, for this. Word to John Galliano. I did not expect in 2023 <laughs> being repping Kylie Jenner's personal style on my bingo card, but here we are. Yeah. Similarly, Hailey Bieber is someone that has just been wearing YSL exclusively on the red carpet. Yeah. Yeah. No, she really is. She's like YSL only at this point. But this is one of the best looks I think she's done yet because it was all black, very sort of modest gown, except for she has one exposed hand. And then it's almost like an optical illusion where her head and a single hand are just floating in space. Right. It was very glamorous. According to TikTok... People hate her. There's a whole thing. We missed oh, this I know. whole thing with Haley Bieber and Selena Gomez that I really cannot be bothered with. Well, I'm on Teen Selim. I'm on Teen Selena in that particular instance. I do like, I don't know that Kendall and Haley are mean girls, but it's a vibe that I get. But they were very well dressed, so oh, so I'm not gonna shade them on that front for sure. But what was going around was this clip where Haley Bieber is trying to pose. Which have you noticed in the last few years at Vanity Fair, they put these circles that almost seem like a, a joke or a satire from uh, the 2020 COVID days, where it is kind of six feet apart from the next yeah. circle, and they make the celebrities get on those circles. Because that carpet is like half a mile. Right, but the, there was a clip circulating that she's trying to pose, Haley Bieber's trying to pose on the red carpet, and people are walking through the shot. And the clip that I saw, the comments were like, oh my God, the, the people that are running the red carpet are Selena Gomez fans and they purposely let those people walk through her shot. And it's like, who even wants a photo of her? It's like, wow. People are so dumb. It's crazy. Yeah. Shall we move on to some other fashion news? Speaking of demented people on the internet running away with uh, certain theories, La Roach has dramatically retired. Yeah, imagine quitting your job like this. Like, guys, if we ever stop podcasting, you best believe that we're posting extremely shitty clip art that says retired. <laughs> I guess we should mention for people that did not read this, he posted this clip art that said retired. And then the caption said, my cup is empty. Thank you to everyone who's supported me in my career over the years. I'm so grateful for you. If this business was just about clothes, I would do it for the rest of my life. But unfortunately it's not the politics, the lies and false narratives finally got me. You win. I'm out. So this is the man famously styles Zendaya, um, Celine Dion. I don't know if he still works with Ariana Grande, but Ariana, Right. Mary J. Formerly Anya Taylor-Joy. Right. He crafts sort of very flamboyant maximalist looks for his clients and has become a, a bit of a celebrity in his own right. He's also like done some reality TV stuff and whatnot. 
and he's newly a model, which we'll talk about in a second. <laughs> but when this news first broke, what I kept seeing was like LV did it, that the LV thing, LV, LV. I'm like, what is this? And finally it popped up on my TikTok, which during the Louis Vuitton show, there is a clip of Zen- Zendaya being seated pretty much before the show is set to begin. Everyone else is seated and there's only room for her in the front row. And she seemingly points behind her for La Roche to sit. And everyone is posited this is what broke him. And then I That's started... like absolutely insane. <laughs> oh, it, it gets even crazier because then once, because I watched that full video, then I was on like La Roche uh, conspiracy theory TikTok. And then it was like, well, ever since Zendaya was made an ambassador of Vuitton, she doesn't need La Roche anymore because they're going to take control of her. And LVMH is like, they're trying to alienate La Roche. It's like, do any of you understand how the fashion industry works? Yeah, just because you're a brand ambassador for a luxury brand doesn't mean that you do not need a stylist. Yeah, you think Zendaya is calling Vuitton to do fittings and coordinating stuff getting shipped to herself? No. Yeah, she's not dealing with like the DHL deliveries and shit. (laughs) (laughs) She's not me. (laughs) I was going to say, speaking from experience. Um, (laughs) Look, there's something to this because clearly he is speaking to someone. Yeah, something happened, but at the same time, he would not be the first stylist to have too many clients, get overwhelmed, and have a mentee be. He wouldn't be the first stylist to be quit because he's overwhelmed with the politics of the industry or because he had a client fuck him over or because he wants to pursue a career in the entertainment industry. Yeah, I was going to say he's also not the first stylist who's like, oh, being a media personality is way easier than being a stylist and having to deal with everyone else's bullshit. Yeah. So, yeah, and he very well could do that. He has made such a name for himself. You know, he is in a very elite group of celebrity stylists that people outside of the fashion industry are aware of. A celebrity stylist, which is still rarefied air. On Wednesday, he walked in the Hugo Boss Miami show and did his first interview with Vogue, where it really does seem like, because I sent that to you that he was walking in the show, and I was like, oh, is this all an elaborate joke or hoax that he was going to That would be really funny if it was like kind of like when, um, what's his face, Uh, JVN and Anthony from Queer Guy were like, we're partners. You know, teasing the fact that they're dating and the next day it's like, we started a dog food company together. We're partners in a dog food company. (laughs) But then you sent me this Vogue interview where it really does seem like this, him quitting the industry was an impromptu decision because he's like, I don't know, I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. And then he did have to go on Twitter and say that he and Zendaya are, are besties forever. I think to quell the the internet, making her the, the bad guy. Anyway, in more delightful fashion news, <laughs> this is the best thing that's ever happened. I don't even know how to intro this. Well, we'll play the clip, which is you've happened upon a clip of the character actor Michael Rappaport, who I guess has a podcast discussing his love of the row in which he describes the brand as this. You know this brand called The Row? You never heard of it. Wolf, you know what The Row is? Okay, so it's going to sound kooky, but the Olsen twins, they got a fashion, they got like like some high-end chic shit, and they make shit that, they they make like, they make stuff for women, it's all like classy, low-key, and not like that Walmart shit, which really they make gazillions on why they could start this high-end 
brand of clothing. It's just chic, dope, kind of like the type of shit that men and women wear on your show Succession. Succession. It's okay. kind of in that, you know, pieces. So what was I talking about? Oh, so I got a road jacket. Yo, motherfucker stopped me the other day. He said, yo, is that the row? I said, yeah. It was like some fight club shit. I was like, you know? He goes, I know. And I was like, Let's, I kept it moving. It was like some Brad Pitt, Ed Norton, Jared Leto, like fight club shit. And and it, and it ain't it ain't cheap, but I fuck with the row. I fuck with the Olsen twins, and I fuck with their clothing line, the row, hard body karate. So I'm looking good here. I love that he calls it Fight Club because it is Fight Club. <laughs> He's like, you know, you, I know, I know. <laughs> I love this so much because I co-sign for one. This is how I actually feel about the row. But I rarely hear any human being talking this enthusiastically about fashion. Like, this motherfucker might as well be Diana Vreeland, you know? <laughs> well, it's also the most succinct explanation of how the row was able to become the row, which is, yeah, they sold a billion dollars worth <laughs> of shit at Walmart. So they get to, like, just invest in their own brand for 10 years and make it amazing. I know. People forget, but not him. <laughs> also, I like that he invokes su succession <laughs> to create context for this brand's existence yeah i mean quiet luxury sort of 800 dollar cashmere baseball cap and it only you would only know if you know yeah so love him i hope they cast him in uh their next show <laughs> a giant cashmere sweatshirt wrapped around his neck i hope he's seen their latest show and adopts that i hope at the very least they just send him another one of those cashmere sweaters it's like i'm looking good all right, shall we get into the things we missed during Fashion Month? Yes. I guess the dramas. We're not going to go through and talk about all the shows because it's been too long, but... And we've talked about a majority of yeah, them. Yeah, we talked about... Well, I don't know. We didn't talk about Milan and Paris, and those are kind of like the ones that matter. All right, well, we'll get into that in a second. Can you explain to me what this Brian Boy, Vanessa Friedman, Gucci drama was? Because I half understand it. It has to do with <laughs> during the show, there were these different conversation pits and it feels like all the influencers were put in one. Okay, so at the Gucci placeholder show, <laughs> I call it the placeholder show because they're in between designers right, right. now. The set was interesting. Most people were in chairs, but there was a singular conversation pit oh, and okay. only the influencers were there. So Vanessa Friedman, who's the New York Times senior fashion critic, tweeted, the influencers have their own pit at Gucci. And then she responded to her own tweet and said, Dante would have had a field day with this one, which is, of course, a reference to the circles of hell concept. Right, from Dante's in Inferno. Inferno. Yeah. So I would say an objectively funny joke. Yeah. Um, but then the famous blogger, Brian Boy, who recently became the editor-in-chief of Perfect Magazine, was not happy about this and posted some really funny tweets about it. Um, here's one. Imagine preying on women who are, who are trying to make a living that are 20, 30 years younger than you, rude, and targeting them at fashion shows while you're on a corporate expense account paid for by your employer. I mean, who's the misogynist there? <laughs> 
Then he says, I flew myself to Milan and paid my own hotel and taxis and Ubers to go back and forth to fashion shows only to be lumped up and insulted as a clown simply because we were sat in the middle of a fashion show venue, not by choice. She was rude and mean. It's like, okay, I'm sorry, but making fun of influencers is not preying on women and targeting them. Yeah. Well, also, Vanessa- I don't know why it's women because it was women and men. And I know. What is Vanessa Friedman? Lydia Tarr? <laughs> She actually is kind of Lydia Tarr-esque when you think about it. Brian Boy watched Tarr on the flight over. I don't know. I just think that if you're an influencer and you're going to fashion shows and doing whole-ass photo shoots like during the show, you have to assume that the sort of old guard of fashion media people are going to make fun of you. Like, it's not that sinister. It's not that deep. It's just, you know, it's what they do. Yeah, I think it's surprising because Vanessa Friedman is not necessarily someone that has hot takes or is used to uh, being acerbic (laughs) in this way. I know, I love this side (laughs) of her. It's like, can we get more of this from your actual writing, please? Yeah. So anyway, that was just that drama. And I'm sure Vanessa Friedman will forget about this, but I feel like Brian Boy will always have his eyesights on her. Well, I don't think she'll forget about it. It is kind of awkward in the sense that they're all at the same fashion shows. So it's like, imagine being at the same party with someone that you've sort of photographed from afar and made fun of, although it wasn't personal. It wasn't just about him. Right. It was about him and his influencer colleagues. Do you think PPR was mad at the the people that produced the show and they were like, we need no controversies, no seating controversies, no designer controversies. It was weird, though. It's odd, yeah. The thing about it, though, is that it wasn't like they put them in the worst seat in the house. They were in the best seat in the house, in my opinion. That's the seat I would want. And also, now that everything is content, they did put them in the most photogenic place. Yeah, it's so true. Speaking of Keurig wanting no controversies... Demna's post-cancellation show? Yeah, we got the first fashion show since Beargate, and it was exactly what we predicted in an earlier episode. It was sparse. It was logo-free. It was irony-free, not yeah. stunty. Um, Demna got scared straight into making normal clothes again. Yeah. Well, he always made normal clothes, but the runway theatrics were not there. And I think that they needed that. I don't think that they needed sort of an attention-grabbing viral fashion show at this particular moment. No. Do we want to talk about the collection now or a little bit later? Sure, we can talk about it now. Because it was a lot of the typical Demna Balenciaga motifs, right? You got moto, snakeskin, giant black blazers, sparkly gowns for Isabella Pair to wear at award shows. Like, it was a lot of stuff we've seen before. Yeah, it was the kind of clothes that people actually buy and like could wear apart from the gowns, obviously. I think that most people these days, it's like we look to fashion shows for entertainment. We're not looking to fashion shows to find a blazer or a pair of pants that we could wear for 20 years. Sorry, that- when you said the phrase, we look to fashion shows, my mind went to you as like a Nicole Kidman AMC ad, but for fashion, <laughs> we look at these clothes for wearability. <laughs> yeah, and this this collection was very much about the function of clothing, about elegance. It's not about pieces that were reverse engineered to be viral or provocative, but that said, I think it's insane. Like people are suggesting, where are the logos? It's like, as if all that shit is not going to be in the stores. Yeah. Like they're still going to make the sneakers. They're still going to make the t-shirts they're just not putting that on the runway but yeah I loved it 
Shall we talk about the new creative directors and their collections for Nina Ricci and Anne Demulemeister? Sure. So, well, you kind of already set that up. Do you want to get into it? Yeah, I mean, people said that the Demulemeister show was misogynistic because the women didn't get to wear tops, but <laughs> slap my ass and call me an instrument of the patriarchy because I loved it. <laughs> so this was the first collection from their new creative director, Ludwig de Saint-Cernan, who has his own label. Yeah. He briefly worked at Bellman under Olivier Roustein. And he's known for kind of gay, fetishy, androgynous clothes, mostly for men, right? Like right. it's kind of like a more gothic version of Tom Ford era Gucci. And he started to do women's wear recently, but not what I would consider a women's designer. So I think part of the criticism of this collection is that there's nothing in this collection for Patti Smith to buy. Right. Like, this is not clothes for women. These bitches don't even have tops. Like, this is clothes for Kendall Jenner, Haley, like, those girls. And I think that Angela Mulemeister has never been a red carpet brand. And these are very much red carpet clothes. And I do expect that we'll see a lot of celebrities wearing them. But I don't know how much it's serving their core customer. Obviously, they want to expand to a new, thoughtier customer. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's a weird... I wish they had put a woman at the helm of this brand, personally. But I do think that there are cool pieces in the collection. Obviously, what Hunter Schaefer wore was fantastic, but not really something that a non-model... Could pull off. No, certainly not. Yeah. I mean, as beautiful as I thought those feather gowns are where the models are holding their tits, you know, hard, hard to wear at a dinner party. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, Harris Reed's first Nina Ricci collection debuted, and it was something. How do you want to handle this? (laughs) Well, it's literally the opposite of the Balenciaga show because it's clothes that are designed to be worn once on the red carpet. Right. You know, like it's by celebrities that really need attention. It's the kind of stuff that, um, you know, you can imagine Lady Gaga wearing like 10 years ago. I don't actually, it makes me sad. I don't even want to talk about it. But for some reason, I think people are kind of into it. Yeah, it's it's giving Christian Siriano. I don't know how else to explain it. Yeah, it is very like Europe's answer to that. And people love wearing that shit on the red carpet, so. Although I guess it was among the most diverse shows in Fashion Month because of its casting. Preciously opened the show. That's been another discourse that's happening is that there are no plus size models on the runway, really. Yes, uh, Vogue Business just did a an infograph that lists by percentage what shows had mid-sized models versus plus-sized models versus straight-sized models. And it's depressing, but it's not surprising. I find it surprising that people are acting like fashion shows were super inclusive before and now there's been like a major downturn because I don't really see that. At best... All of these European designers just put Paloma on the runway. Right. And when we say Nina Ricci is doing well, they had 39 total looks, 89.7% straight size models, 5.1% mid size models, 5.1% plus size models. Yeah. And that was like the most size inclusive show of a major sort of luxury house. No? Yes. Vivian Westwood, 0%. Caperni, 0%. Plus size models. Dolce & Gabbana also had plus size models, which is new. Remember, we talked about them not having it the last time we talked about them. I think they listen to the podcast. (laughs) Do they? I'm sorry about what we said about the boning on Jamie Lee Curtis's gown. Shall we get into some notable stunt casting? I know. Speaking of Vivian Westwood and Caperni, I guess robot dogs? (laughs) How do you top a spray-on dress? 
robot dogs lightly ripping off the most iconic moment of an Alexander McQueen show. I don't know, but like, I can't believe that this got as much attention as it did because it seemed like such a like transparent attempt to recapture the virality of their previous show. And I can't believe that so many people fell for it. I mean, I can, but it doesn't really seem to make a statement about anything apart from how sad, um, dystopian and superficial the world is becoming. Well, yeah, I mean, that's of course happening. I think what made me more bummed is how many people reference... Alexander McQueen and his shows which are incredible you but it, literally just did no I know I did but <laughs> what made me think of this is the fact that no one references Hussein Shalayan and his shows well this is a reference to Hussein Shalayan almost even more so is he Miyaki also but that's my point is no one except us are connecting this point Hussein Shalayan I'm sure other people are connecting this point I just don't think it's like I don't know as like there's not as much internet discourse about Hussein Shalayan that's what I'm saying. That's what we're here for. Guess what, guys? This is no longer the Every Outfit podcast. This is Hussein Shalayan cast. No, respect. He did it better than anyone, honestly. And yes, Vivian Westwood's granddaughter closed the most recent Vivian Westwood show, the first show since her death. Um, and it was definitely touching, but I don't know if this makes me like a terrible person, but the first thing I thought was like, fuck, who knew she had such a hot granddaughter? Like, this is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. She's very beautiful. Apart from Tat. Um, <laughs> of course, that goes without saying. That's yeah. always the asterisk when we talk about beautiful <laughs> women, except for Tatiana. Yeah. Our queen, Mia Goth, opened up the Mew Mew show. Which featured jeweled underwear. Very fashion roadkill. She wasn't in the jeweled underwear, but that was kind of the finale. No, the, it, the looks were giving a lot of like thoughty, frazzled librarian who forgot to wear p- pants that day. Yeah. Um, Mia Goth really blended in with the models. I guess we should also note that Emma Corrin was in the show as well. Mia Goth started as a model. I also clocked that um, a lot of the models were wearing the their handbags in that mid-aughts way where just like the strap rests in the crook of your arm and your <laughs> arm's just sort of out. Yeah. No, I like that. Shall we get into our favorite shows? Sure. What are your faves? You know, I will say that mine are really subjective because I just look at the collections. <laughs> what, like the Harris Reed Nina Ricci <laughs> collection? No, I mean, subjective in the sense of, like, what clothes I would wear. And for me, I really love the Courage collection. I just, Okay, yeah. I, yeah. I, I continuously love what they're doing with the brand, especially something that has a very iconic but kind of narrow pieces that they have historically been known for and how you expand on that. I like that they're so referential with the archive because... It is so timeless. Those pieces still look good today. And that's what people actually want. For sure. And then also just the, you know, every fashion show has to have a a stunty bit to it. And this was that the first few models came out with just staring at their cell phones and their faces were illuminated by the blue light of their cell phones. Yeah, I thought that was good too. I feel like when we talk about fashion shows though, I feel like we need to try and separate or unwind like... The theatrics of the show from the clothes. Right. Because we're almost using two different metrics to judge things, you know? But yes, I thought as a sort of detail of the fashion show, the phones were great. I don't know if we needed hoodies from them on the clothes side, (laughs) but I I like the vast majority of the show. Also, Lauren, did you know they have a store in New York now? I did, yes. Yeah, I just went to it for the first time. FYI, it's on um, Mercer Street across from the Alexander Wang store. 
it's tiny, but you know, it's like those tiny little vinyl mini skirts don't really take up that much space. So, yeah. And then I also, I liked Victoria Beckham. I mean, she's been several different designers in her time as a designer, but she's every woman. For me, as someone who always wants to live in the time where Stella McCartney designed for Chloe, I feel like this collection was that, that like mix of ethereal feminine and masculine, like a seafoam green pant and a slightly boxy blazer and then a feather as a blouse is just who I want to be as a person. Yeah, lots of feathers. I like the trompe l'oeil feather pieces at the end of that show. Also, I want to note, so the targeted ads for Victoria Beckham Beauty got my ass the other day. Oh, shit. And on Instagram. And I got a couple of their cream eyeshadow sticks and they are very very good okay like I love a cream eyeshadow because I'm like an idiot and I can't like apply actual makeup but they have some stain power like there is it is not creasy I was very impressed I recently did purchase a Victoria Beckham top that I had to return because it's not meant for a single person like it was this what do you mean high neck top with oh, a, like with you a, can't put it on by yourself. Yeah, no, with a bow on it, and it doesn't have a zipper. It has buttons, which is fine, except the entire back, you have to button straight up to the neck, and it's like, I don't have someone in my life. I can't. <laughs> no, that's terrible. I'm sorry. I think that needs to be said. Here are my two things with <laughs> e-com product photography or product descriptions. One, you have to stop photoshopping out the nipples. I need to know if my nips are going to be seen in this white top. <laughs> two, you got to tell me if I can put on this piece of clothing by myself. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, also, when we were in Miami, Lauren had picked out, like, we'd picked oh. out the outfit that you were going to wear, which was, what was that top? It was like a, a totem, yeah, totem it was like, corset top. Yeah. yeah, it was beautiful. But when we first put it on you back in LA, it's like me and Tat were there. So yeah. one of us could hold the corset shut. The other person could zip. When we got to Miami, we realized like, oh, I, I cannot put this on. And I could not help you. Uh, Yeah, to be fair, I might have gotten a size too small. (laughs) There's that. Yeah, that was, that's not on Totem. That's on your ass. That's on Moda Operandi only having that one size on sale. Desperate times, man. I know. I also love the the Prada show, although it felt like Prada had a talk with the corporations and big tech because this collection was giving like, we're all going back into the office energy. I love that though. I just want to wear cashmere sweaters, outrageous, ridiculous skirts, and like bitchy, pointy little kitten heels. And that's what this show is all about. Yeah, this was, I mean, we've spoken about before how there are several Pradas. I felt like this was leaning into the more austere, clinical Prada aesthetic very Gattaca but it's colorful though right it's really colorful so it's not like there are Prada collections that have like little to no color at all and this was not one of those but it was so great can we discuss Prada's pufferization of everything because there was they've puffified all of their bags and then there was a puffy section of this collection which was like puffy miniskirt puffy crop jacket puffy dress I think that's a bit of raff and that's also like a trend in fashion and design generally like every chair that exists is puffy that's just where we're at right now but yeah props to Musha. she is completely and utterly irreplaceable she's given us so much um and i'm just eternally grateful Oh, I meant to mention this during the Mew Mew show with the the other notable thing about it was they put balloons in their hair. So it was all 
Frizzy, but this someone brought up the fact that I think it was for the 2014 show or the 2007 show that um, she was inspired by Eileen Warnos. Oh, iconic. And her like, style. Okay, she couldn't have been inspired by the real... Well, her, her look. Yes. I will find this quote. That's crazy. Yes. Anyway, what were some of your favorite shows? Uh, yeah, I would also say Prada um, for sure. I would also say Bottega Veneta, which seemed to be the show that almost the entirety of the fashion industry was obsessed with. So like, perhaps this is a cliche choice, but I think it's a really beautiful show. Machu can get it. What he's been able to accomplish in three seasons is really astounding. And I appreciate the scope of styles and silhouettes and textures and colors in the show. I think there's something for everyone, you know, if you're super rich, that is. Um, if you can afford $28,000 braided leather knee-high boots, yeah. Yeah, if you're buying like a $12,000 faux crocodile coat, then sure. But yeah, I thought that was a great show. I think Italy in general had a really, really strong season. Diesel was also really good. And then these sort of new young designers that are at the helm of Trasardi and Ferragamo, I think also did good collections. So um Viva Italia. Uh, yeah. And when we were in Miami, we saw the Ferragamo show and, or the sh- the sorry, store. yes, we saw the Ferragamo store and the way that they have like switched the branding instantaneously was amazing to see. Well, for all the stores though, like I saw the store in Hawaii and it was also like, they're very red. <laughs> You'll know a Ferragamo store when you see one. What did you think of the row? I love the row. To me, it's like, I fuck with the row. <laughs> <laughs> in the words of Michael Rappaport. <laughs> I'm on that succession shit. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's like the row Balenciaga. Like, those are like the clothes I would actually buy if I was buying like a lot of designer ready to wear for sure. Yeah. Um, I, but I think also we forget about Alaya because it happened so early in the season. It happened before New York technically started. But that still was a fall winter 23 show. And I think that was my favorite actually at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, I I texted you. I was like, I will get married in Alaya. <laughs> Is this too much to ask? Um. So yeah, I think good season in general. Very strong. robot dogs. Uh, could leave the robot dogs behind, but other than that, you know, great. Now on to resort, <laughs> and then couture, and then fall again, and yeah. Well, actually, we have something else to get on to. Kardashian Aholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. <laughs> wow, it has been so long since we've talked about the Kardashians. We are back. Uh, I mean, as I've hinted at throughout this podcast, and probably all throughout many podcasts, I'm completely uh, a TikTok sicko. And the narrative with the Kardashians, or at least the one I I hear, is that they've fallen off. They're not as popular as they were. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They are still everywhere. Yeah. And if they're not everywhere, it's because they've purposefully decided to take a step back for a hot minute. All right. Where do you want to start? Kendall Jenner dating Bad Bunny? Yeah. Well, Kendall is my father's favorite Kardashian Jenner, and he doesn't believe that they're dating because they haven't been photographed together. And I'm like, so they're just in multiple places leaving. I think they have been photographed like getting in or leaving a car together. I think we did see that. 
All right. Well, Andy, you got to believe it. Kendall Jenner's dating Bad Bunny. We don't know for sure. I do think it's interesting, though, that with the exception of Courtney, they're all single again, right? Because Kylie has some sort of nebulous relationship with Travis Scott where they just reproduce together, but aren't necessarily together. The rumor is that Tristan and Chloe are back together. I can't. I'm not surprised because did you see Kim's Instagram story from a while back? And that is, yeah, because it was Tristan's birthday and Chloe posted about him. And so people believe that that is the first signal that she is soft launching him back into the narrative. So that's happening. We didn't ever talk about the Harmony Kareen skims campaign, which is, I feel like, one of the most noteworthy things that they've done, which was an obvious homage to Spring Breakers, which kind of perfect timing. It came out 10 years ago this week. Jesus. And then we interviewed... Heidi Bevins and she was the stylist for this so it makes a lot of sense she was the costume designer on Spring Breakers and she styled this shoot yeah I love that they brought in the whole the whole team yeah but I thought it was cool I'm not wearing neon green swimsuits myself but as a campaign (laughs) it worked I really think what Skims does with their campaigns are brilliant and they're constantly doing shoots well so we need to talk about the fact that Kim really does like a balaclava, like as a look. Like there's even Skims bodysuits that have those hoods on them, which is a pretty like extreme thing to sell to the masses. I mean, that's just the Balenciaga influence, but sure. Yeah. Chris was in the Megan Trainor video. So I saw a shot of that and I thought like the Thank You Next video, it would be a cameo, but she's in that whole video. Yeah. It starts with Megan Trainor singing the song, which is called like Mother, I Am Your Mother. Yes, which the chorus is I Am Your Mother, which to me, I just thought that we needed more than Kris Jenner, Tony Collette, who does say the line, I am your mother in hereditary. <laughs> so that's what I always think about. Yeah, imagine that line, but delivered like in the complete opposite way. But I do think the choice to have Kris Jenner in the video, and not just in the video, she's lip syncing the song in some sort of bootleg gentleman prefer blondes type setup. I thought it was funny. I thought it was cute. Don't like the song. No. And is mother officially dead? Like, can we put this away as an adjective of considering everything mother? Everyone is mother. I I don't think we're going to be able to do that for years. So Kris Jenner was also prominently <laughs> featured in Chris Rock's latest stand-up special, which we watched together in Miami live. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we got to watch him live fuck up that joke at the end, which they've edited out. So every time well, you watch on yeah, Netflix now. Of course. So the Jenner-Kardashian bit in Chris Rock's special, if you haven't seen it, begins where he's dovetailing off of his Meghan Markle, I'll put jokes in quotes, into a bit saying that, you know, if you're black and want to be accepted by white folks, you need to marry a Kardashian because Chris lets everyone in. Yeah, he likened her to the Statue of Liberty. I thought it was one of the funnier bits in the special. Yeah, because he talks about how Robert Kardashian freed OJ and then it gets into like some not great trans jokes. It was all over the place. It was messy. Well, the Will Smith stuff, I think, was messy. Not because he fumbled the joke necessarily, but because he was still so clearly flustered by it and bothered by it, I guess. I feel I don't feel like he approached the material from a position of power, which is weird, I think. 
especially because his previous Netflix special was such a departure from his usually bombastic stand-up sets because it was him reflecting on his divorce, which he had a lot of time to think about, and it was much more mellow. And yeah, this was, he was obviously still rattled and still shaken. And I mean, at times there is a joy in him being so messy and wanting to call Will Smith a bitch over and over again. But also it's like, I expect more from Chris Rock. Yeah, I do too, for sure. That was a digression. (laughs) It was. I also didn't like that bit where he got his daughter kicked out of school or didn't stop her from getting kicked out of school and she wouldn't know until this special. I think it was more that that just dragged on for a long time. Because what he was trying to get to is now his daughter studies in Paris and his uh, he sends his mother to visit her. It more felt like a story you hear at a dinner party where you're <laughs> like, you know, I, um, I'm going to get a drink. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what else is happening? Is that all the Kardashians news we have? Blessedly, yes. We do have one more thing, though, because we got an email... <laughs> from a listener named Chris King who lives in Marfa, Texas, who made a little song for us inspired by our Kardashian segment. And I think that this is the perfect way to close the show. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We were going to leave you with this song. See you next week. Bye. I'm so much more than just a pretty face. You are cute jeans. Cute jeans. You are cute jeans. Cute jeans. I'm an influencer. Jeans, pretty face. If there's one thing that I always strive to be, it's pretty cute. Jeans, pretty face. Your mind wakes up, but your body's still asleep.